Welcome to New Hope Community Church. My name is Ian Buckley and I'm the founding pastor of New Hope. Isn't it just great to be able to worship together like we've just done? Which reminds me, this week I was reading Psalm 145 and it says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Isn't that a great verse? It helps bring us some balance in the middle of this COVID activity. You know, one thing I've found that focusing on God and diving into his word encourages me strengthens me and stabilizes me as I focus my mind on God. And I pray you too would be encouraged, strengthened and stabilized today as we focus our minds on God's word. Well, if you have your outline, now's a great time to pull it out and to follow along in the notes. Last week, we were looking at practical Peter and he was sharing truth and how to get through these fiery trials that he was facing. He specifically talked about three things. He talked about how to react, how to, uh, what to remember, and on whom we should rely. And that's a great intro to where we are. Because this week, Peter is now writing again to Christian believers during an extremely difficult time. And he's urging the Christians that he's writing to, to keep their eyes, just like we've done in the worship and in the reading of his word, on God, to lean into the sure hope that they have in Christ in the midst of extremely challenging circumstances, and most of all, for him, not to withdraw. Because you may recall, about 30 years earlier, Peter had been a really close personal contact and friend of Jesus. But unfortunately, when the fire came on, when the, when the acid was on, when the pressure came on, he was being overcome with fear. Actually, he was intimidated by a young teenage girl. And it was painful in his mind that three times he had even denied knowing Jesus. You'll find that in John 18. But happily, since then, Peter had learned to stand firm with all the rough and tumble of life. And all the evil that was in the world. And so Peter is in this last chapter of our journey. Starting to encourage other Christians. Who were facing huge pressures to deny their faith. He knew all about that very personally. Now history tells us gladly. That Peter had certainly lived. And embodied the truth he taught. And wrote specifically in this letter. And we know that because history tells us he was later executed by the Romans for believing in and for preaching Jesus Christ as the one and only Lord and Savior. So, just as that small group of early believers stood against persecution today, we must also be willing to stand for our faith with patience and endurance and the courage that Peter now exhibited. Now one of the great themes in the New Testament, which is amplified 
in the Protestant Reformation is the priesthood of all believers. In other words, you've heard it this way. Every member of the body of Christ is a minister. Every member is a minister. So when you become a Christian, you are automatically enrolled as a minister in the body of Christ. It's clearly taught all through Scripture. So I was called by Jesus. I was created for ministry and I was saved to minister. So in other words, you were created by God for ministry in his purposes. Look at this verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance. That's in his foreknowledge for us to do. So you were there clearly created for ministry, for good works that God has prepared for you and me in advance to do. Notice this next verse, 2 Timothy 1.9. It is he who saved us, and he chose us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began. So God here clearly plans that you will be saved and that you will begin to serve him in ministry. So a non-serving Christian is a contradiction of terms. The Bible teaches that every Christian is saved to serve. 1 Peter 2.9, something we read a few weeks back. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, aren't we glad of that, into his marvelous light. So while it's true that we're not all preachers or evangelists or teachers, we are all priests that have been set apart that's the holy bit by god and for god now that is very affirming as holy priests god wants us to offer ourselves as living and spiritual sacrifices daily laying aside our own natural carnal fleshly desires and to follow him in other words, that means putting our energy and our resources at his disposal and trusting him to guide us in our ministry work of uh, reconciling um, God and men, people to God. So there are two life-changing truths before we dive into the meat of today that I want you to notice. And here's the first one. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am, but I really am who God says I am. Now, the second life-changing truth, let that soak in for a minute, is my primary identity is I am a minister of Jesus Christ. And if you do let that sink into your life, it will flat-out change your perspective on everything. So, Today, as we prepare to dive in to God's Word in 1 Peter 5, the last chapter we're going to look at, I want to touch briefly on one of the most frequently misunderstood areas of local church ministry. And that 
is under the heading of realistic expectations. So let me begin with some comments regarding the, the clear, the value of clear thinking, realism. Clear thinking realism by both leaders and teams. Because practically every ministry endeavor and leader that I have ever seen has one common problem area. And it has to do with the expectations in ministry. And the problem lies both with the leader as well as the group that they lead. Because both begin their relationship with unrealistic expectations. The leader expects a team to have the commitment of the apostles and to die for their faith. And the team have expectations of their leader or the leaders that they can walk on water. It's kind of like, it reminds me a little bit about the sort of stages in a marriage relationship. <laughs> One guy said, when I first got married, I started off with an ideal, what it should be like. A few months later, it turned into an ordeal. And now I understand what the real deal is. And perhaps I should be looking for a new deal. We smile at that. But one of the secrets of longevity in the ministry is clear thinking realism on both the part of the ministers and on the part of the church teams that they work with. Otherwise, this has the makings of madness in ministry. Now, fortunately, the Bible provides us ministers, I'm talking about us, all of us together, with guidelines to form realistic expectations. And these first couple of verses in 1 Peter 5 contain two important principles for those of us who are called, which is all of us who are called, to any ministry leadership, to all Christians. Now, here's the first principle found in God's Word. And the first principle is this. The pride of position must be absent. The pride of position must be absent. 1 Peter 5.1 Notice the tone of Peter. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ and the partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter starts here in our scripture for today in chapter 5 with the word therefore and he's continuing in his thought since God's judgment will begin with the house of God chapter 4 into that then the leaders of these ministries of these flocks of these ministry teams carry great responsibility. And God allows persecution as a disciplinary judgment to purify the lives of those in God's family. Two thoughts we're going to listen to. You see, it can be easy for Christian leaders, doesn't matter, ministry leaders, doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're leading people to be puffed up with their own importance. Well, why is that? Because they, number one, they speak on behalf of God. They serve God. They're doing God's work. Secondly, they address groups of people other than their families regularly. And in fact, more often, and more people than most business people. Thirdly, people can make life decisions based on the, their teaching. 
And fourth, they're trusted by most people. Now, all of those aforementioned things can lead to a sense of pride. And if that happens, as the scriptures say, a terrible fall. Because the Bible clearly says pride comes before a fall. But notice what I want you to notice here is Peter demonstrates an exact opposite attitude. Look at the insightful humility in Peter's words as he appeals to the elders. Here it goes. It goes, as your fellow elder, as your peer. Thereby, he's identifying with the other church leaders, although he could have said, hey, I was one of the original 12. I have the authority of the apostles. You know, I was an eyewitness to this Christ's suffering, his death and resurrection. But this old burly fisherman has mellowed over the years and he does not view himself above, but alongside, not apart from them, but as a partner with them. And he does see himself as a peer. He serves with them on the same ministry team. What a refreshing attitude. They're in this together. He sees himself as a fellow heir in the coming glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. In other words, he shares their destiny, and that's motivating for him. So if Peter, one of the 12 disciples, and the earliest spokesman for the church, would identify himself as a fellow elder, then all of us in ministry ought to follow suit with a humble view of any position or role that we have been called to fulfill. Now the second principle is that the the heart of a shepherd must be present. The heart of a shepherd must be present. The first part of verse 2 says this, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Now it's crucial to note that the flock is called the flock of God. It's not the flock of Brian. It's not the flock of Bob or Bruce. The flock or the ministry team that you work alongside belongs to God. It's not George's church or Harry's church. It's God's church. And our job is to shepherd the group or the flock with the same care and humility that that God wants us to show. Especially, our role is to lead them into the evergreen pastures of God's truth and his word. Now, there will be times when you need to seek them when they go astray. You may need to protect them from predators or their own folly sometimes and other times you may need to calm their fears and comfort them in in pain friends though one thing for sure of shepherds and leaders they are not flighty they haven't got the eye on the other flock or the other opportunity over there where the grass is greener they're certainly not easily unnerved and they're not spooked but they do show by their longevity and their consistency, a love for their sheep. Now, if anybody doesn't have that type of mentality, they shouldn't apply for any type of pastoral ministry. See, because I've met quite a few folks over the years who tell me, Ian, I love to teach. Friends, it doesn't matter 
whether they love to teach or preach. What Jesus wants to know is, do they love his people to whom they are speaking, to whom they are teaching? Because I've met people who love that, kind of like say, well, I love to teach, but I'm not so keen on people. That is not a place to find yourself in, i.e. the pastoral ministry. Now, there are three essential attitudes in the ministry that bring glory to God, on the other hand, as we move down through this. Second half of verse 2 and 3, and all of verse 3, highlight these attitudes. 1 Peter 5, 2, the second half. Exercise oversight. Now, notice the patterns here. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sorrow gain, but with eagerness nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing, excuse me, but proving to be examples to the flock. So after exhorting the leaders in the church, Peter uh, is now going to give you three practical attitudes which earthly leaders and shepherds are to exercise. Now notice again this pattern. I love patterns. He structures each of these in the same form including both, firstly, he leads with a negative, and then the corresponding positive attitude. Now, look at this chart. A simple chart highlights the contrasts. It says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not for sorrow gain, but with eagerness. Not lording over the flock, but being examples to the flock. So let's take those three attitudes which Peter is saying first one is an attitude of willingness an attitude of willingness it says not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God now the word compulsion here means to be coerced to be compelled by force now Peter knew very well that it can be challenging for pastors to motivate themselves to maintain the high energy requirements for ministry, or any ministry leader for that matter. You know, it reminds me of a humorous story. One day a, a, a young man was sound asleep on a Sunday morning when his mother charges in to the door and says, Wake up, son, you need to get out of bed right now. And now with his face buried in the pillow, he sort of says, Well, give me three reasons why I should get out of bed. And engaging with a tug of war, with his bed sheet, she said, well, number one, it's Sunday, and as Christians, we always go to church on Sunday. And the man kind of just moaned. And secondly, she said, we've only 40 minutes to church uh, starts, and you haven't even got to bed and got a shower and a shave. And the man ignored his mother. And then three, she said, because you're the pastor and you need to be there. Now, while most pastors don't need their mothers to yank them out of bed on a Sunday morning, churches can have ministers who are on the verge of ministry burnout and can barely keep going. Now, there are many reasons for this. Maybe they're at Bible college or seminary and they've acquired some sort of degree or skill, but their heart is no longer in it. Or maybe they've been in ministry for so long that to make a career change now would mean starting their lives over. Or maybe they're in a particular ministry position that doesn't match their gifts or their training and they can't find a way to switch to something that's more appropriate. Now, whatever the reason, whatever the case, 
involuntary ministry leads to a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of motivation, mediocrity in their approach, and even, even depression. Now, if this is the case, Peter's words imply that a change needs to be made, either to fix the problem leading to that compulsion, or find a way to step down for a while until the joy of ministry returns. Now, one of the things that characterizes ministry burnout is a lack of willingness. This applies to all Christians everywhere. And that can have many causes, which are of, of which we've talked touched on one of them already, which is an unrealistic expectation or disappointments. Now, if we were in the flesh here and I was able to see you, I'd ask you this question. How many of you have ever heard of the name Charles Spurgeon? And I'd say, can I see your hands? Hopefully, quite a few of you are raising your hands now. He was a noted English pastor. Uh, and in his lifetime, he spoke to over 10 million people often speaking 10 times a week. Now, that is impressive. Now, remember that 10 million people, there were no jets and no rapid forms of transport. This guy worked hard, very smart guy. Now, even to this day, he's known as the Prince of Preachers. Yet, did you know this? He suffered from depression. Listen carefully, fellow Christian ministers, to the words and the experience of Spurgeon. Fits of depression come over most of us, usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave not always courageous. And the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. So that's something to consider as part of realism in this life. Second, the second attitude that we should exhibit, as Peter's calling us to exhibit, is the attitude of eagerness. He says here, not for sorrowed gain, but with eagerness. Peter contrasts true excitement for ministry here with financial motivation. Now the term solid gain implies a motivation of greed. But the motivation for ministry is not and never will be financial gain. For the heart of a shepherd or a Christian leader shouldn't be filled with a love of money, but with a love of ministry to God's people. This is why one of the Serious qualifications for ministers is that they are free from the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, second part. Free from the love of money, referring to leaders. Secondly, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and by some long for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. So, the excessive desire to build wealth is a taproot that feeds an endless outgrowth of materialism. It's one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. 
and vocational Christian service like everything in life, I've got to tell you, has got its ups and it's got its downs. But if you have answered a genuine call of God, nothing will satisfy more. Here's a simple test for folks who are considering ministry as a vocation. Here it is. If you can be happy doing anything else, do that. Because in my experience, those who have been called by God know they will never find contentment in any other pursuit. So, there should be an attitude of contagious enthusiasm, not just merely a willingness to serve, but an effervescent zeal that bubbles up from the heart. See, we need to remember that the ministry God gave us is a sacred and holy privilege. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart. Now, this is not a profession to practice. This is not a bunch of tasks to tend. It's a sacred position. And God's shepherds should have an attitude of self-sacrificing zeal. Not just a willingness to serve, but an authentic enthusiasm that springs again from the heart. Now that principle flies in the face of excessive professionalism common in Christian ministry today. Where degrees and resumes and books and popularity... They don't qualify a person for ministry. You won't find that in the scriptures. But rather, an eagerness to serve, occasionally at great personal cost. That is a vital ingredient found in a well-grounded ministry. The third attitude spoken of in verse 3 here is the attitude of meekness. The attitude of meekness. Here Peter says, nor, this is a negative, nor lording it over as those allotted to your charge, but, here's a positive, proving to be examples to the flock. The idea of lording it over to others is to think of them as underlings and yourself as the boss. Well, friends, that absolutely wasn't the attitude that Jesus had, and neither should we. Notice this verse, Matthew 20, 25 and 26. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now, we are to think of ourselves as servants and fellow learners and teammates. And the way we exercise our influence is not as a heavy-handed or overbearing authority, but as an example. Our lives should be a message, firstly, to our spouses, if you're married, to our families, to our children, and to our teams. The most inspiring leader, the one who has the most influence, is the one whose life speaks louder than their words. So it was three attitudes. One eternal reward. So far, we've looked at two principles and three essential attitudes. As we turn to verse 4, we want to look at the one eternal reward. Here it is. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. For the exemplary service 
these servants will receive an imperishable reward from the good shepherd himself. But the reward is not doled out to everyone in ministry. It's reserved for the faithful few who fulfill the job description of 1 Peter 5, 1-3. Now, here's a few practical suggestions that I want to make today for ministry. First, to those who serve in leadership. And second, to those who are led. First, those who lead need to keep a healthy balance. Those who lead need to keep a healthy balance. So if you teach, remain a good student. Keep your tools sharp. Stay teachable. Read and listen and learn and observe. And more importantly, change. Admitting when you're wrong is just as important as standing firm when you're right. Then you need to be immovable. Also, share what you learn. No one knows it all, so don't yourself up, set yourself up as a know-it-all. In fact, what I found, the more I learn, the more I know. I don't know much. So it keeps me humble. Good place to be. Now, since you're called to lead also, follow Jesus well, really well. How's your daily time with God? Do you look forward to it? How about your communion with the Holy Spirit in prayer? Is that something that you enjoy and look forward to? and are conscious of his presence throughout the day? Or do you have an increasing desire for prayer and friendship with God? Do you love and serve Christ's bride? And when you lead, do you put yourself in your followers' shoes and try to stay objective? Do you neither underestimate nor exaggerate your role do you recognize that though you are called by god you can't do it all and you need to delegate though our work is serious though and there is a very serious side to this don't take yourself too seriously you see our problem is we tend to take ourselves too seriously and God not seriously enough, and therefore we end up stressed. Now remember though, the Almighty God, through the Good Shepherd Jesus Christ, is working out His perfect plan through imperfect people like me and like you, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. A couple of other thoughts. Remember, the sheep must be led and not driven, not heavy-handed, not lording it over. And finally, work hard. Working hard as a shepherd is extremely important. But you need to know when's enough. Because you don't want to end up as a workaholic. You need to know what's going to recharge your batteries and refresh you in your personal life and also in your own marriage. I remember many, many moons ago, there used to be a statement that says something like, well, I'd rather... Burn out than rust out. Well, man, that is so stupid. Because when you think about that, no matter which way, you get, you're out. Whether you burn out or rust out. I don't, do, I, don't, I don't want to be out in any way, shape or form. You know, calendars are the black and flat family lives that reflect that oversubscribed calendar. So get some rest and take a vacation. 
dare I say, take a Sabbath? An exhausted and depressed and unmotivated leader in Jesus is not healthy. So, second, so that's to those who lead. What about those who follow? To those who follow, be a reason for rejoicing. To those who follow, be a reason for rejoicing. Here's a practical step. Have you ever thought of any way to encourage the leaders that, that you serve with? Maybe you can just model some gratitude and some love. Doesn't matter what ministry you're in. And defend the leader wherever possible. They're not perfect, but try and defend them where you can. Try to imagine being in their shoes for a moment too. That's another practical thing you could do. Think of how it would be if all the others being led were just like you. For your leader, your ministry leader, would that be for them drudgery or delight? Some practical thoughts from First Peter chapter 5. Let's pray. For the next few moments, I'd like us to bow our heads and to close our eyes and to reflect on our call to the ministry by Jesus Christ himself. To check our lives. To be certain that we claim Christ as Lord. That we indeed are a part of his living and eternal family. This today, right now, is a perfect opportunity for any who do not know God to pause and to give your heart to him. Our Father, enable us in these moments to be removed from the cares and the intensities of the winds that blow around our lives and take us to the cross where our salvation was effected and the payment was paid and our Saviour died. And having brought us here, show us again the agony and the cost of his obedience to your plan. Lord, thank you that your son Jesus did not abandon the plan. He didn't abandon his call. Give us a desire and an inner strength to follow you through the twists and the turns of this life. Lord, as we search our hearts, reveal to us any area in our hearts that may not be pleasing to you, where there must be instead a repentance, a change, a confession. Cleanse us, Lord, and refresh us, Father. Bring us to the cross, our Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We really miss seeing you guys. If you haven't already, please let us know you're here by just typing in the chat window there on your right-hand side. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or perhaps even better, send us also a selfie of you joining us on Sunday morning with the family or those around you, or maybe even in your small group. We so much looking forward to seeing you again in the flesh. Join with me now as we continue to worship our amazing God, who is the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Amen.